You are listening to the League of Unextraordinary Gentlemen with Brent and Jerry. Oh, it's unextraordinary. God dang, but what? Of course, it makes sense now. Thought it was a little braggy at first, but now I read it correctly and it's unextraordinary. See what they did? See what they did with the thing and the un at the beginning? I get it. Get it now. Boy, it's a whole new twist on it there. I gotta, gotta sort of mentally prepare for the, for the comedy stylings of the un at the beginning of the word. A podcast about writing by two guys who never have. So, I don't know if you know, but this is actually episode eight. Episode eight. The last episode we recorded, yeah. I never pub produced. I get lit. Uh, as as I've been posting on the podcast for the blog, but I've been doing a lot of blog posting, right? Yeah. Kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. But I, uh, the roof that I had to get done, uh-huh. I just kind of got so caught up in that whole week prior, getting things prepped, getting shingles delivered, tools I had to go get uh, in order to cut all the costs. I did all that without buying the shingles. I did all that like under a hundred bucks. Right. Yay right. for me. So that took a lot of work. And then I underestimated how tired I would be from doing the roof. Yeah. Uh, so the nights that I thought oh, I can knock out some words, get that podcast. Yeah, that never happened. Right. Never went on. So yeah. we have one in the hole. Okay. So there are. So our, when our listeners get this, you know, they'll they'll. I hope they understand. Because I've been plowing since I didn't get to it. Been roofing. Been having a lot of fun doing that. Yeah. Not really. Yep. So I think this is eight. I think. This is number eight. Huh. Yeah, I, I believe it is. I'm gonna look that up just to make sure. But anyways, um, let's catch up real quick. So. Uh, how long, what I've read your blog today, yeah, and very good post by the way. I, I really kind of resonance with it because it's something I wanted to talk about in the pod. I was actually writing a post myself, and I wanted to address it, but I'm like, ah, I don't want to steal his thunder, and it makes a good conversation for the the next podcast. Yep. Um, but I was looking at that same kind of idea. How you know, uh, let's we're gonna really bash on George Martin and Robert Jordan. I think today, probably mm-hmm. more Robert Jordan than George Martin. But what what is going on with these very accomplished, successful writers writing books that mean nothing to their storyline? But yet here we are. We're the ones that are beating up as the new guys, saying like, "You gotta stick to it. Gotta keep it concise and short." Well, you get successful, then you can throw out something that's completely meaningless. Yeah, it's like um, yeah, I'm getting the the life stories of so many of these characters, and it's like, who is this person? Why do they matter? You know, they were a minor character, and now they're, you know, the, the heart of something, and then they're dead. You know, it's like, just like, poof, what's what's the point? You know, it's like they don't they don't have a point. So, so what do you, well, 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 that seems to be a little, let me back up. What is Dance With Us With Dragons, specifically the, the point of your beef, that didn't progress the storyline much at all. Not until, like, the last four chapters. Now, does he have a lot of throwaway characters in there? Yeah. There's all these minor characters. I don't know what the hell they're there for. Now, were they chapter POVs that have become his uh, bread and butter, or were they just introduced, they went for a thread, no, and then they... They were, like, their their whole chapter. Yeah. And it's like... And really? It's like, I didn't even know who the hell they were, for the most part. See, I haven't read Dance of the Dragons, because you're the second person to tell me the same thing. Yeah. So I'm going to... 
and I read the first part of the series, first time I ever read the series, I completely skipped Danny's chapters. I really didn't like them until like the third book or, yeah, the third book where her chapters were really interesting and gave me yeah. a flavor of what was going on. Well, this one, um, there were there were literally two chapters of hers, and there, there were a lot of chapters of hers, but there were only two that really mattered. Everything that came before that could have pretty much been shoved into a couple paragraphs of the one chapter. So could this then, be? Could this be? Do you think a now? I don't know if you know. You probably do. That Dance with the Dragons is actually like part two of a, the book he wrote. Right. And, and do you think that this once we get the next book five that this will all make sense to us? No. No. See, I mean, I, well, this is book five. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, this is like a book. Or so you book can six. Think of it as book four A and book four B. But um, what it feels like is that everything what was in the the first, you know, book the first half of book four was, uh, you know, the there was some plot movement there, and then this stuff was the stuff that got cut out of it because it didn't really belong, and now it just we shove it back because it's concurrent in time, but doesn't advance the plot, doesn't do anything with the plot. It uh, it seems to be descriptive filler for the most part. You know, just the the feeling is is just over and over. It's like you get the the same kind of things happening, the same thing feeling from different points. It's like, okay, yeah, everything's bad. You it's know, a bleak this, world, this, brutal. This war of five kings and winter's coming and. You know, there aren't any good people. And, <laughs> no um, good people. Yeah, there, there aren't any good people. If there kinda aren't like, good uh, people, they die. Kind of like the Battlestar Galactica reboot. Why the hell are they going on? Just kill yourself and get it over with. Yeah, you know, it's like the, these people, you know, they were minor characters. You know, maybe you want to cheer them on a little bit. And then it's just like, you know, poof, they go. And so are they, these... they didn't advance the plot. You know, they're just, they're, they're no, it's like a wall hanging. It's like the, the plot is the king walking into the throne room and, and they're a wall hanging. So let me ask this, and get into our, in this wall, so our listeners don't think we're just going to sit here and be literary critics and right. criticize a very well author. I mean, I think, at least for me, I respect Martin. He's a very good book. He's, he's done a lot of groundbreaking things that hadn't been done in the genre for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I respect it. But we're going to, but as I think as me and you are trying to do, as we're trying to be authors, is being critical of well-known work so that we can learn from it. Right. I mean, I, I love the idea of his story. Um, I'm just, I'm frustrated as a reader that the last two books of a thousand pages each haven't really brought me any closer. Oh, see, I disagree. The, the last book did advance the story quite a bit. It put us in a very, uh, a very unique position. Now, I agree. There's been a lot of dancing around the subject, but I think that's the point of an epic. An epic is supposed to introduce broader scales than just one hero's quest. Uh, just going from point A to point D and accomplishing that story. It's supposed to be the story, the straight line, distance between two points, but it's also supposed to be the whole world around it. So, in a sense, the world itself becomes the story, and we're just peering in, we're gods peering into this little place. Yeah, I but just think the, like we're, we're spending too much time looking it, at it, little things. Exactly, there you go, right. We're, we're spending too much on the peasant. Now, let me ask this. Does Dance with Dragons introduce a brand new character, or does it complete story threads 
that he introduced like two books or one book ago. I have trouble keeping track of all those characters. Um, so I can't say that it introduces new ones. Well, see, that's that's an interesting point as well. If you can't even remember a character from three books ago, what was the point? Right. And, um, like, uh, you know, I don't want to be too much of a spoiler, but there's a, a section in there. Hey, about, let's be honest. If we're going to talk about the book, yeah, our listeners have to understand we're going to be spoilers because we're not talking about the story itself. We're talking about the mechanics. All right. So there's a there's some chapters in there about uh, Asha Greyjoy, I think, or yeah, uh, she was introduced like she's been introduced like since book two, I think. Right, you know, and um, you know she gets a little bit of major action, and then she's kind of sidelined, but um, I don't see where it affects the plot. The plot of the book or the plot of the major story. The plot of the major story, or even the plot of the book. It's like it's like her own little story. And it's happening at the same time as everything else, but other than showing that uh, this uh, Ramsey Bolton, you know, who used to be Ramsey uh, Snow, is you know a, a, you know an ironclad bastard and just a very bad person. Yeah, you know, like yeah, we knew that. We've seen. That. Well, let me ask you this then, because I know I having just completed the story, the books yet again mm-hmm. for a second or third time, and listened to the audio books. Uh, let me ask you, because there are things I want to know from these two characters and from where they are in the storyline. See if they resolve some things. Uh, so, what? Who's in charge of the North Kingdom, the North, right now? Uh, nobody. So, wow, so these two, Greyjoy and Bolton, had a conflict. Well, Greyjoy, she was fleeing from her uncle or whatever, the, yep. the king's moot, where, you know, because she was fleeing because she didn't, she didn't win. That and, was after the last book. Right. Yep. So she was fleeing from that. So it's like we, you know, she's holed up in this little castle. Yep. And, and her uncle's coming to get her. Uh, no. What happened to her uncle? Some other people. No, out. her father died. I, oh, I don't even crap. remember, but somebody yeah, else, somebody else either. raided her. Yep. All right, and ran, and you know, and they, they you know died as Ironborn, but she was you know she was held captive, and um, it's just you know it was. So no one sits in the, the in the north after this. Well, Ramsay Bolton's sitting in Winterfell. Oh, okay, so he considers himself king of the north, yeah. or at least. The North Warden, right? But his his father, his well, no, he doesn't care about any of that. He just wants power. He's not trying to be he, king or anything. right. I know, but but yeah. in a reader's mind, he's now controlling the North. Yeah, except that he you know he's not even trying to control it. He's just trying to kill off everybody else. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. right. And um, yeah, uh, like for instance, we get an awful lot of scenes of King Stannis marching toward Bolton. And Winterfell. Oh, so Stannis is headed to Winterfell now, because when I left yeah. him, as I understand, he was just sitting in the on the wall. Yeah, he was sitting trying on the to wall bully John. And we had a, and we had a lot of scenes of that, and then um, and then Stannis goes. We have a lot of scenes of Stannis marching toward, and eventually Stannis is stuck in the snow, um, you know, big storm and everything, um, not far from Winterfell, mm. and then all of a sudden. Stannis is gone, his army's gone, and we just get, you know, a letter from Winterfell uh, to that effect, and that's it. It's like, uh, we we had the potential for a cool battle or something going on there, but 
we got all the boring stuff of the march toward the battle, and then the battle never, yeah. and the battle happened outside of our view. See, I have a feeling. I have a feeling that Dances with Dragons will suffer from the fact that he a wrote Dance with Dragons. A Dance with Dragons, whatever. I I still go over the old title that he postulated three or four years ago. But I have a feeling that this book is going to suffer from from this kind of like, huh? Until we get the next book. Because he wrote those two books as one book and then had to spend a year, year and a half creating two books out of it. And so he made subjective decisions over which chapters or character POVs would go into each of the books. I have a feeling that, that once we get the next book, we'll go, oh, that's what happened. Maybe. You know, uh, I, you know I'm, I'm lost at a lot of it. I really am. You know, it's just like, uh, at this point, I, I mean, I, I feel like I don't even want to... Finish. Yeah, I don't, I don't even want to buy the series. It's like I will borrow it, uh, get it out of the library or something. But, you know, I, I no longer really want the whole series sitting on my shelf. So let's so before we start getting tying this back to our writing and, and and why established authors are doing this, let's talk about Jordan because that's a good place to segue into Jordan. Mm-hmm. Now with Martin's books in the beginning, there were quite literally, like I said, chapters I would skip and it never affected the story for me. And when I went back and reread it for a second time, they only enhanced the overall story that I was getting out of it. It mm-hmm. didn't make sense. This is why I think Dragon will suffer from this. They didn't make sense until I finished the first four books, like Danny. Mm-hmm. Da- Daenerys chapters didn't make a lick of sense to me until the end, before Dragon came out. That's why I think Dragon won't make sense until the next book comes out, because they're literally one book together. Mm-hmm. So the next one should be A Dance with Dragons Part 2, in my opinion. But, but with Jordan... But it wasn't. This was Part 2 of the other one. No. Yeah. I don't think so. Hmm. I'll have to go back and look. I think he, he spent three or two or three years writing... A Dance with Dragons and realized it was too booked to publish the way it was. And spent a year separating it. So he quite literally has another book on the shelf, I think. Because, well, the two-thirds of the book is concurrent with... I got a computer in the internet. Let's check it right now. Yeah, two-thirds of the book is concurrent with uh, the previous book. Yeah, that's that's normal for him. Almost all his books are... uh, are there. Yeah, and it's not till we get to the last third or so that we start seeing events that happen after the end of the, the fourth book. Yeah, see, this is volume one. Cause in some places it actually says a dances with a dance with dragons volume one. Hmm. So this is part one of a of a bigger story of the bigger novel or bigger plot because yeah it just it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me as it is um but i mean there's so many things that are just filler from the previous timeline that i don't i don't understand how well there is a see yeah yeah. see this is the problem with the way martin chose to write the book Mm -hmm. that unless you read everything straight through because it didn't make sense to me Book three is where it started. To, the war, the hole started to wear thin, the fabric wore thin. That there's a lot of a lot of POV characters that are months or weeks behind the last POV character you were reading. Mm-hmm. So a lot of chapters because he's he's writing this like uh, War of the Roses kind of story that took over years in many different parts of England. He's doing the same thing. 
So characters will shoot forward months in advance of the timeline, and then you'll go to the next chapter, and since each chapter is a character POV, you'll fall backwards in time. Right. And well, he does the catch-ups. Yeah. You know, he's very good at, like, dropping things along the line and he's scaling them with rumor and hearsay so that characters don't always have this godlike knowledge of everything that's going on. And then the next POV will fall even further behind or go further ahead. So you have to be real flexible. So it's almost like a bunch of short stories. Right. Well, it's like the two-thirds of the book is like that. It all, yes. It, you know, uh, the first two-thirds of the book all takes place before the, the last part of the last book. And it's not till the last third of the book that we start moving forward in the story at all. So let's talk about Jordan uh, okay. before we run out of complete time. We'll go over our 30 minutes a little bit because we haven't talked in a while. Uh, well, me and you have. <laughs> we haven't talked to our reader, listeners in a while. But uh, So Jordan, while well, I said that Martin had a chapters I could skip and didn't right. make sense until I read, read them again and found the fullness of time of what he was doing. Jordan, there were novels you could skip. And never ever read again, and you would still get the fullness of the story out of it. I suppose, yeah. I mean, there were the, bo- the there- thing I like about Jordans, though, is at least you know you're you're staying around the same characters. You know who the main characters are. That's true. And the side characters are all characters that are touched by those main characters. But but like George, George Martin. Jordan introduced characters that, though they may be only there for a chapter, there were hundreds of them. And I always had a problem, who is this? What now? And then they would mention them like a book later. Right. It's like, like, like Lost. I'd have to wonder why Locke pushed the button in this one room for months. And it would never happen, so I worried over nothing. Jordan, I have to worry about now, what did that Asha do? Why did she do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's similar to that. Um... The biggest problem that I had with uh, Jordan was when he started having the same character with different names. Yes, the Forsaken. It's like because I had trouble keeping track of them, and it was bad. It was bad enough with just the same character with a new name. But then when he started swapping genders, it's like I have no idea who these people are. Yeah, or who they were supposed to be, or who they used to be. Yeah, you know, it's like it's hard to keep track of that, and. Um, in uh, Martin's work, I have the same kind of thing. Now, yeah, I won't say that that's necessarily bad, but I don't know that I want to write something like that. I, I don't want to write it either, although I will tell you I would rather write something the way Martin's doing it than Jordan, and here's why. Martin and I share the one similar love, and that's of medieval lore. Mm-hmm. While he's gravitated towards to the true medieval history, I gravitate towards more Arthurian lore. So I really get, I really dig into his his vibrant pomp and circumstance of the medieval times. And I really dig that. So I really identify with these family lineages that are going on, the multiple characters that, or multiple histories and characters and layers that are ultimately meaningless, but go in to build this one specific villain or hero he's trying to paint. Mm-hmm. And I identify with it because... I do. I I guess you. Could, I independently study Arthurian lore and legend, so that is full of it, very much full of it. Jordan. Jordan has built a completely new world, and it's hard for my mind to wrap around some of his content content or uh, concepts that I could ultimately care less about because there's no there's no way to anchor me back to reality. Right. Where Martin, I can clearly anchor right back to medieval lore and get it. Yeah. 
I suppose. So, as why wouldn't you want to write a book like that? Why, giving our limited view of let's let's be honest, Martin's books aren't complete yet, so our judgment can be changed. Right. Jordan, not so much because the story's almost done, and while Brandon Sanderson's doing an admirable job of cleaning up the t- loose ends, there are still large swaths of that storyline that I just could care less about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want a straight shot, straight arrow to the to the final answer. Yep. Is that what you're saying? No. What I want is uh, a lot. I want to write a book, and I've seen it in a lot in TV shows and stuff. People are uh, enamored of different characters. They fall in love with the characters. Uh, one of our favorite TV shows, Firefly. Oh yeah. It's not the concept. Let's have, have a moment of silence fiction. for Firefly. Hmm. Moment of silence. Okay. Okay. All right. So. Um, you know, it's, it's not that the concept was brilliant, you know, Wild West, you know, uh, style science fiction, uh, you know, or, you know, the, the, you know, ship all on its own kind of thing like that. The reason everybody loves Firefly is the characters. Um, same thing with, uh, you know, a lot of the shows that are successful. People love the characters. Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, and I think that's why some of these reality shows exist at all. It's like uh, Jersey Shore. It's like there is no show, there's no plot, there's no story. It's just a bunch of characters, characters, literally characters in that sense. Yeah. Well, I think I think people like TV shows now. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you the truth. Look at what's popular right now. Castle. Mm-hmm. Castle has absolutely no story to it. The murder mysteries are pathetic to best, but that is not what makes that story powerful. Right. It's the characters and the writing that went into it. I mean, that dialogue is not simple to write. And they're not, I don't think the writers of Castle are pulling any punches and saying, I don't know how to write a murder mystery effectively, but I know how to write a good character. Yeah. And that's what they're doing. So, yeah, I want a book where by the end of the book, the end of the story, the readers are saying, I want to know more about these characters. Yeah. And I want every chapter to be that way. It's like, this is a really cool character. I want to know more about him. It's like, I can't wait till we get, uh, you know, it's like if if, uh, if I went on uh, the point of view chapters, you know, and I went to another one, it's like, uh, I, I can't wait to get back. Like in, in Martin's, I absolutely love the chapters with Arya. Oh, yeah, yeah. Arya is by the character, Arya, John, and I think are the only two characters I actually care about. And I actually want to see what happens. Yeah. Everyone else is just kind of, I'm there for the ride. Yeah. Actually, I like Kligor Sandin, Sandin, uh, Sandor, yeah. the the Hound. Yep. I actually thought he was the most honest character of them all. Yeah, well, he's dead. Yeah, I know he's dead. Yep. But he was the most honest. I trusted him completely because he would mm-hmm. tell you exactly what he felt and what he thought. Everyone else was living behind trappings and lies and deceit. He was the only honest one among them. Right. Um, but see, that's, that's what I, you know, that's what I don't like about Martin's work. It's like... You you know there there aren't any characters that you can count on to be there later. I I you know, like it, but I don't I don't right. I don't at the same time. I, yeah, I'm not going to say necessarily it's a bad thing, but it's not what I want to write. I want somebody to be in love with my characters so much that uh, you know if if a character gets hurt or dies. You know, I, I want tears falling on the page. And, and you know what? That's where I... That, and I agree with you. That's where I think 
Martin's actually a good expose for this, good discussion point. Mm-hmm. I admired him for killing uh, Ned. That took a lot of guts. Ned mm-hmm. was an outstanding character. But we didn't know much about him, really. Right. We didn't do a whole lot. He died too the, soon before we figured it right. out. Right. But we respected him based on what other characters felt about him, which is key to any writing. You want someone right. to respect, you got to have the other characters say it. But now it's gotten to the point where you expect everyone in the book to die. Yep. I, and while I think it was brave of him to do in the first one or two books, especially when he killed uh, Rob, mm-hmm. that took a lot of guts. But now it's like, all right, I expect you to die. What the hell? Now right. it's like watching a. At first, it was like watching a drama, an epic, where like oh, nail biting. Who's gonna buy it now? Oh my gosh! Now it's just like a slasher film, where I expect everyone to get killed. Right. It's like why? Why should I invest any time in this it's, character? Right. I'm, it's like I said, Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, yeah. got to a point in the storyline where I just wanted to slit my throat and I just wanted everyone else to kill themselves because there was no point in living in a society like that. Yeah. There is none. Yep. it's like why why bother? And that's the that's the whole thing. I don't want characters like that. I want characters that people are involved with. You know, uh, I want uh, like for instance, you see a lot of uh, fan fiction. Yeah. All right. I can't see anybody writing fan fiction for the um, uh, what uh, the uh, fire and ice. They ice, do. Ice and fire. Westeros is what he calls his world. They yeah. do write a lot of it, but only because, like I said, well, no, George Martin doesn't support fan fiction for right. one thing. Well, most, most don't. But I can see it being written simply from the fact that it is a medieval world. And believe it or not, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of desire for that world, but we all pulled away from it because it was overdone. Mm-hmm. Martin's brought us back to us and brought a level of reality to it. Yeah, but wait, but how do you? How are they going to write the characters? The characters are dead. Well, well they're going to have to go back in time. And, well, yeah. have you read his short stories, uh, Egg and Dunk? No. Very good. Very true Arthurian kind mm-hmm. of pageantry going on there. But how do you balance Martin's complete bleak slasher fiction with uh, the heroic fantasy where the hero always wins and gets the damsel in distress? How do you balance that? Because the other side, I think, is unpalatable as well. Yeah, well, yeah, we're we're uh, you know we're we're tired of Prince Charming. Um, well, and I'll add in there. I think it goes back to a meter. Maybe this is where you're going back to Robert E. Howard, which is the middle line between the two, where Robert E. Howard had his character Howard Conan mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Solomon Kane. He had his heroes, and they they were heroes, and the bad guys were bad guys. And while they kind of tended toward the blackness a little bit, they also tended toward the lightness a little bit. But the hero was always in danger, and you were always kind of nail-biting, but he always survived at the end. Yeah. And he's kind of the middle point is what I'm, what are, in my scale here. That, that's kind of what I think uh, you know, we should aim for. If the hero survives, uh, it should be because they're a hero you know, that they've done something heroic to do so, not just because they're squeaky clean and the good guys always win. Um, you know the the evil guys shouldn't be stupid. Your villains shouldn't make obvious mistakes. Um, you know, and uh, I think that's fine. And you know, I like moral ambiguity as well. Uh, I like bringing that in to where you're not sure who's the good guy, and maybe there really isn't a good guy. Uh, you know, maybe the the there's just two sides of the story. Um, but. You know, I also like to believe that 
people appreciate when there is uh, an absolute right somewhere. In bad the guys story. are bad. Good guys are good. Right. I I agree with that. I don't yeah. the the maybe more I'm hard be- to tell the difference sometimes, but you know, and and maybe the characters are having trouble. Uh, but it should but, never be unclear to the reader. Right. It shouldn't it shouldn't it might be a little fuzzy. Well it should be that should be part of the journey. Yeah, you it, know, should, the, it should yeah, it might be fuzzy. The reader the reader know you know, that we we know what's right and we know what's wrong. You know, and uh, the characters might not know it and the reader might not know who's on which side, but they still know, you know. Uh, if if a main character is killing people arbitrarily, you know, um, raping, flaying, um, stealing, uh, you know, and backstabbing and lying, they're not a good guy. Right. That's not the good guy. Right. We, you know, it's like we we know what what are the virtues, you know, and and you know what are what are the sins as far as that goes. Uh, you know, we have a sense of right and wrong. And um, I want characters that last through that, you know, whether they are, I mean, you know, a great villain is, is wonderful too. How many people just absolutely love Darth Vader? Right. Right. It took, it took three films to kill him off. And, well, I'll tell you, you know. what the, 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 the most powerful villain, I think, in literature to me is uh, Sergeant Hakeswell from uh, the Sharp series by Bernard Cornwell. Don't know. Yeah, not many people. I don't know how many people know him. Sergeant Hakeswell is a vile, despicable individual, mm-hmm. but the character is so deep, has so many layers of psychosis going on, that he's—I mean—he is so deceitful, villainous, venom. I mean, every word of the book, he's it. Mm-hmm. And but there is no, there is clear cut. He's evil. He's bad. Right. But you still love the character. You yeah, want absolutely. To see more about it. Right. Yeah. You don't want him on your side, right? But you, you don't want, want you know, don't want to meet him in a dark alley, as the cliche goes. But exactly. Yeah. Um, but you you would miss the the story would suffer if he disappeared. Yeah. Now, Sharp, on the other hand, who's the hero? Mm-hmm. See, and this is where I think you're going. What you're saying to, as well is that the hero can stray, but he had by the end of the book or end of the story, he has to come back to the moral right mm-hmm. of your story. Yep. Um, and that's what Sharp did in these series. He would always stray a little bit. Because he was, I mean, he's a British soldier. Uh, he was not well educated. By the end of the whole series, he becomes very well off. But uh, just like a hornblower, hornblower explored gambling and other areas to pay his bills and get by. And so does Sharp. He steals. He's a thief. He's all these things. But he comes back to the moral rightness of what is right. I guess within the compass of things. I mean, uh, yeah. Granted, the life of a British soldier is not ex- at those times is not exactly great. But he did his job. He did his duty to king and country. He fulfilled his mission and did all those things. While Hakeswell, there was no deviation. The guy was evil, pure and simple. Yeah, the the hero is allowed to you know to dabble in the dark side. You know, uh, usually for uh, expediency's sake. You know, well, you wouldn't respect the man if he didn't kind of stray to the badness and then come back again, find himself. Right. I mean, that's that's part of the hero's journey. Yeah, I think that was uh, that. The characters that we like most are the the ones that are fallible like that. Yep. Uh, to bring up uh, another good example, Babylon Five, the first season, uh, Sinclair, he was too squeaky clean. Yes. Yep. We we you know it's like he wasn't a bad character, but we liked Sheridan a lot better. 
Yeah. And it wasn't the actors. It was the characters. Uh, I think it's the actors. Well, because the actors. Because but, yeah. uh, Slavinsky, I can't, Straczynski always had Sinclair writing it, the character writing it out through the end. Mm-hmm. But because his savviness with the film industry and the TV industry, he knew better to rely on one actor or the whims of the producers. So he built multiple trap doors in the storyline and for each character. So an actor could decide, ah, I'm done with this, which is what the Sinclair actor did. I don't remember his name. Mm-hmm. And so he had something in the wings for the Sheridan guy to come up. So I think a lot of it had to do with the actor, to be honest with you. Yeah, but um, what I see was uh, Sinclair was right back to the science fiction heroes of the 50s. They were yeah, yeah. these hollow shells that were just glittering gold. They were, you know, they were, they were heroes. You know, it's like I am the hero. Well, how did you figure that out? Because I'm the hero. You know, and that was it. And there there I, wasn't I, any depth to them, but they they always won. The villains always, you know, lost. I don't disagree, but I think we're it's a little unfair to say that as we're looking at it because the actor never had a chance, or the character, Sinclair character, never had a chance, as intended, to go the full five seasons. Right. It's it's possible. But I think the actor had a very dead... And this is also very typical of a first season TV show, which is why it's kind of unfair. Straczynski had to introduce the setting in one season. So there was very little exploration of the massive storyline he wanted to tell at first, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, well, this is true of, uh, I can't think of the TV show at all. But a lot of TV shows, and this is where I think, I don't, you know, crossing myself, don't want to impinge on Firefly. This is where Firefly suffered because Joss Whedon had a clear vision that he wanted, boom, introduced all at once. And to the studio, it was like, whoa, what are you trying to do here? They wanted the slow rollout mm-hmm. over time, where I think Straczynski's more uh, experienced hand said we can't do it that way everybody has to be on board in season two so let's take season one to introduce and set it all up so characters you know actors didn't like where it's going and he's got a vision so he wants season two he doesn't care how people feel about it internally as long as the audience cares about it yeah well that was my my whole point about characters bringing back around uh, I don't want heroes like the 1950s heroes that are thin. It's like, uh, you know, where well, you're stuck on the story. You don't really care about the heroes and, because, uh, you know, you, you know what's going to happen to them. And I think that's where books are a better medium to let you do that. Right. You can put more depth in it. You don't have to parade out, parade out the, the cardboard, cutie-cutter, one-dimensional character on your book. You can go as deep as you want, and you can make him very filled out, very much whatever you want, as long as... On one end, you don't do the 1950s, you know, uh, what my wife calls the John Carter effect. The John Carter of Mars. Yeah. Who's, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love those swashbuckling stories. I mean, they're great. Great for a pick-me-up, great for to realign you a little bit, to, to cleanse your palate of something heavier like George Martin. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. But on the other hand, I don't want the Robert Jordan, uh, George Martin effect where things are bogged down. Right. I'm, you know, I'm looking for... I'm looking for a story that works really well about the characters. Uh, I'm telling a character story. That's what I'm doing. Right. It's like, uh, you know, the the journey isn't important. It's the character that's taking the journey. That's why we care about it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, I, I'll tell you uh, um, that... 
in my own stories, in my own story, I have this similar similar deal. Writing a thriller, uh, and I'm typing something to my wife that just called me. But um, in my thriller, I've been reading others, and I, so I'm going to bash a, a well-known author that I've been having trouble with, uh, Brad Thor. I like some of his books. They're very good. They're very nitty-gritty of the covert ops. I think he's taking the Tom Clancy thing to the next level. So where I've got one hand Brad Thor and the other hand Tom Clancy, the, the problem I'm having with it is that Brad Thor is very superficial with his stories. He's mm-hmm. getting a clear message across. And <laughs> in some cases, it's very political. Uh, um. And I, I'm having a hard time adjusting to that to get to his story. You know what I'm saying? It's, mm-hmm. There's a very political message to some of his books. And I'm like, wow, I, that, why not just write a speech or a blog post about this? On the other hand, Tom Clancy gets so technical that it loses focus. And what I mean by that is this. When I was in the Army, and I wrote a little, my blog post was something about this. When I was in the Army, I dabbled in... Uh, intelligence preparation of the battlefield and that's the the concept of analyzing terrain enemy threat and all these things to come up with what the picture of the battlefield is and mm-hmm. reporting that to their commander all military officers are versed in this to some degree or the other there's a whole branch dedicated to it the military intelligence there's a whole field the special forces that do this in detail um so when i read brad thor he skips over this makes it very glamorous it's very boring stuff. Right. Very boring stuff. Tom Clancy makes it very boring stuff. So when I read these guys and you hear them say, oh, I've been told I'm very authentic. I have to like go, by whom? I mean, Brad Thor, I don't know how authentic it is, but it's very action, excuse me, very action oriented, very wow, very cool. Um, even though sometimes the characters just plot along to point A to point B and they stumble upon the, the, the very brilliant clue and they move on to the next point. Mm-hmm. Tom Clancy takes the approach, which is actually a little more accurate in intelligence operations, where you get evidence F that doesn't, and then you find evidence E and then evidence M and B. And, and you never get it A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You get it in a little bitty pieces and you have to put together the whole picture, the whole alphabet. Right. And you do that a lot by intuition and guesswork because you want to put all the pieces together before you actually get the pieces because by the time you get them, things have already happened. Right. And it's boring. It's tedious. It's monotonous. So as I'm trying to write this story of mine, this thriller, and my hero has to put together these pieces, which is in conflict because he doesn't want to do it anymore. So he's got this war where, where as a former special forces soldier he's programmed himself and i don't mean programmed in a bad sense he is trained and thought to think like a team he can't operate outside a team but because he's retired and he's done he feels like he's left his team so he's got Mm -hmm. this conflict in his mind going on where i don't want to do this anymore but he's driven to do it because he can't help it plus the motivation of being framed for murder is a good good experience so he's got to put these pieces together but I don't want to draw it out like a Tom Clancy dry, very wow, people sitting in a room talking, you know, pitching intelligence theory to each other. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to make it very simple and linear like Brad Thor. So I'm having that kind of conflict as well, just on in a different way. Yeah. 
It's all about the characters. Yeah, and that's what I guess is what I have to do is just uh, um, d- develop the character and gloss over the story. The, the tr- I'm going to sacrifice authenticity for the character. Right, and what uh, what I'm looking to do is tell the story because without the character, the story doesn't exist. There's no need for the story without the character. And do you think we'll, you know, just like with, uh, um, so while more, more Martin and Jordan are perhaps staying true to their story and their vision, or their world, actually, their world and their vision, Martin's brutality and Jordan's depth of history and almost this lost world because of its past, you know, the destroyed mm-hmm. nature of it, the blasted world kind of, dying world kind of thing. Do you think that that's what they've done? They've stayed too tr- too true to their story, their worlds, and not true to the story and character? Um, I don't think Jordan did. Uh, I think Jordan maybe mumbled or wandered a little bit along the path. Took a long way to get around the tree. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's difficult to see Martin's story when you don't have anybody to tie it to. It's like, I, I know what's going on, but now, you know, I have no idea how things are going to happen. Um, I mean, I don't mind being, you know, kept in the dark, you know, things being mysterious, but... Um, I care less about what happens in the story because there's nobody for me to care about. You know, it's it's becoming the 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 big story is becoming too big. The, you know, I, I I have nobody I have nobody to care about. You know, I I don't have somebody that's you know fighting the good fight against the others or, or whatever. You know, I don't have anybody that's struggling to do the right thing. Um, you know, I just, the, the story is there, but I, I don't have any vested interest in it. Right. No, I can see that. I, I can see how people would, I don't know, flavors all taste, which is why some yeah. people say it. And here we are, you know, let's acknowledge it. We're wannabes. We haven't right. done it yet. Yep. But, so we get to be critical anyways. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that, uh, all authors, authors being writers that have gotten paid and recognized, um, uh, all authors say, you know, if you want to be a writer, you, you have be, to do two things. You have to write and you have to read. And you have to be critical, I would add. And I've become, since I've done uh, my writing and started reading tools and techniques, uh, I have myself become much more critical of things I love. Mm-hmm. Just so I can, I can do it to myself. When I need to, when I get into the editing mode, I can look and be more critical and things. I mean, I've become overly critical of a, of a lot of TV shows that I really love. Uh, for instance, my my personal analysis that I've shared with you of Joss Whedon and uh, Michael Straczynski, that how you know everyone uh, everyone loves Joss Whedon's work. Don't get me wrong, I do too. But let's admit it: what has he, other than Buffy the Vampire Slayer, what he has he been overly successful with? All right. You know, I personally think he he was one of them. You know, him and the producers both were the failure for Firefly. And I hold Joss Whedon accountable to that as well. He mm-hmm. could have backed off a little bit. You know, you can't, I mean, you can't have perfection. 
Right. You have to understand where the money flows. And that's where I think Straczynski did. But I think, on the other hand, Straczynski sacrificed too much of his story for the for the favors that the producers were giving. Right. So and some and you can see that actually reading that about him that he's posted all these things about what he's done and why he did it. I can see now the disjointedness in the story. Yeah. When you first watched it, you didn't. You just kind of went, "Oh, this is so much fun." But uh, yeah. Yep. So there it is. Um, and I'll get this posted up this week. Okay. So I, I think we're done now. Right. Um, I've got. Uh, so this is episode eight. I did look it up. Yep. Uh, while we were talking. Okay. And uh, are we going to do it? So, so our readers know this is a weird time, the next two months for us Michiganders. Uh, the Renaissance Festival is in full swing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Brent, you are a, an enthusiastic attendee of that. Yep. I am not so much because I can't get my wife to, to do it. And I don't like dressing up. And I know that dressing up is part of the fun of going. So I don't go. Mm-hmm. Although I might break down and have to go in my shorts and wife beater because I really love those turkey wings. Or turkey legs. Yeah, and, and uh, you know they, they do have the uh, wine tasting and mead tasting and beer tasting weekend. When is that? This is new. <laughs> I'm not sure which weekend it is, but we can look it up. I need to know that weekend. Yeah. I might have to go to that one. Okay. Uh, that, that, that one might have to be a priority. Um, so now you got me fully distracted. So... <laughs> I don't know if we'll do this on Sunday. Keep me posted what your plans are for the weekend, and okay. then we'll pick it up sometime in the week. So my point was, and telling the listeners that, is that we might not have a fairly regular schedule like we were. Yep. And then, you know, this big, what, two-and-a-half-week hiatus that I went on? No, that wasn't my fault. Uh, no, that wasn't your fault. That was my fault. Yep. Uh, so we're going to be kind of, you know, podcast dropping a weekly, but who knows when. Okay. Based on, on that that alone. Yep. Um, but how's your story coming? Uh, it's coming along well now that I have freed myself from trying to shove everything into boxes and scale. Uh, I I have a lot more freedom. I can just simply write, and it's like I'm just going to write this scene because this scene needs to be written. This needs to happen, and that's how things are. Hmm. I'm I've been having that same thing. I'm writing scenes, although they're linked. I'm not. I'm writing the next scene and the next scene, the next scene. If they need something to go in between to link them together, I'm going to worry about that later. Right. But well, some of my scenes are short. I, I wrote a scene and it was 300 words. Yeah. Like, that was really short. Yeah. But it's like, wait, it doesn't need to be longer. And I'm doing the same thing, even though I might go back and make it longer. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, I don't know the fullness of what's going to happen yet yep. in some cases. So if I need to go back and add, I will, to link chapters or link scenes. Uh, but the one thing that's bogging me down was that on t- authenticity thing I was talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I'm constantly thinking, what would a Green Beret do in this circumstance? I haven't got a clue. Well, what would be authentic? I ain't got a clue. But I know what a soldier would do, because I've been one. I know that. WWRD, what would Rambo do? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going uh, so to wing it. I've done a lot of research, of course, about special forces operations. I even know one or two group, uh, special forces soldiers in my time. So I kind of have a good idea. I'm going to worry about the, that was not authentic, email later. Yep. I, I think that... We're writing a story. We're not writing a documentary. Well, I also have to think that, you know, when I hear Brad Thor and Clancy 
exclaim how or people exclaim how authentic they are, I have to think that well, if they're really that authentic, maybe they shouldn't have written about classified operations. So there's there's a balance there that I'm thinking that I don't want to cross because there are some things I know and some things I know should not be said. Uh, even if it someone says ah that's not really operational, you can say it. I'm like, but why give any indication to our enemies about what we're capable of? Mm-hmm any sort of it. So I will take what is known and extrapolate what is possible. That's that will be authentic for me. Yep, so that's, that's good so somebody can say, well, that's plausible, but not really. Yeah. Well, I I, uh, I read an article, I can't remember the author's name, um, but he wrote uh, a little bit of uh, technical thriller type fiction like that. And um, you know, he was a, a Tom Clancy style and uh, he got a visit from uh, the CIA and the FBI. Yeah. Uh, after you know, after uh, he submitted his book to an agent, and they said, you know, where did you find out about this? He says, I just made it up. Yeah, Clancy. He's, he's like, well, this is classified. He's like, we can really do that. And Clancy had yeah. the same visit, and his answer was Jane's defense. You know, it's right there in the media. Right. So, I mean, it's all out there. And but in, in this case, the guy just, you know, says, like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if, and wrote it, and we're like, <clears throat> we can do that. Shh, quiet. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, it would have just been a wouldn't be cool if had they not come down on him. You know, he had, you know, they had, they basically gave away the secret just by saying there was a secret. But, uh, yeah, so authenticity, you know, he didn't think he was being authentic. He just said, it doesn't have to be authentic, it just has to feel authentic. True, true. Well, all right, sir. All right. Here we are, episode eight done. Yep. And, uh... Kind of a rambling episode. Well, not really. We had a lot of good talk. We had a lot of stuff to work out. All right, well, you can run Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> well... Thanks again, and uh, we're the League of Unextraordinary Gentlemen. Thank you for listening to the League of Unextraordinary Gentlemen. 